2 Corinthians 9, we're looking at verses 6 through 15. We come to verse 14 this day. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15, we're dealing with a section that I called God's Prosperity. If you would please follow with me at the reading of the Word. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, He scattered abroad, He gave to the poor, and the righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through the many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contributions to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of your surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father, Help us to hear. Help us to have eyes to see. Father, open our souls to the abundance of this text. Father, may uh, may you move each and every one of us to be cheerful givers. That we may understand and experience your prosperity. Help us, Lord. We love you and we thank you. To your glory and praise. Amen. Verse 6 is the summary of this whole stretch. Now I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's a self-evident truth. You don't have to go out and prove it. You know it. You've experienced it. If you've ever been around a garden, if you've ever seen your wife, or perhaps even you have grown flowers, you put one seed in, you will get multiple seeds. But if you put a bunch of seeds in, you get weeds. No, <laughs> that's that's what I get. <laughs> okay, he gives you a biblical illustration of it in verse nine. He says he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. So when you see that that giving and and it spreads out to the poor, it is a righteous deed, and it only endures forever. So if you want to see God's prosperity in your life individually and collectively, then one of the things that you have to look at is, first of all, am I a cheerful giver? Verse 7. Do I do it grudgingly? Do I do it under compulsion? Or do I do it cheerful? All right. And you know what? I have watched people and, and yes, 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 yes. I know that this is perverted. I've seen people pervert this text. I have seen ministries who are basing everything on giving and how much you give. I know a church right now here or not here. It's in Texas that the closer you get to the stage, the more it costs you to sit there. Okay. You know, and I, you, whatever. It must work because the place is packed. So, and I mean, it's packed Sunday in and Sunday out. But, but I, I see stuff like that and you will say, well, I don't know. I always go back to the great philosopher P.T. Barnum. There's one born every minute. So, uh, and, and, and I kind of leave it at that. But I, I watch this and yet I do understand that if I sow sparingly in the things of God, what am I going to get? I'm going to reap sparingly. If I sp- so cheerfully, generously, sacrificially to the things of God. What am I going to get? You know what? We moved in, I think it was 1990. No, 
it was probably in 99, 1999, uh, we came together, a group of pastors in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we decided that we would take a biblical model and we would replicate that in the lands of Russia. Okay? Not that big a deal, you know. Uh, and what we did, we took Antioch, Syria, and if you go look at that, they were teaching teachers to teach and preachers to preach. Rightly dividing truth, rightly handling the book. Okay, that's where we started it. All right, we moved into a place. There was two places that met our qualifications. Okay, uh, one place was called Ufad, which was on the eastern side of the Caucasus Mountains. And the other place was Oriel on the western side of the Caucasus Mountains. And we took Oriel. And so we started putting together some teachers. Uh, we, we put together, can you give us a description of your methods of teaching and your statement of faith? And do you agree with these? We asked questions on what do you believe in biblical counseling? Da, 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 just all kinds of weird stuff like that. All right. And so we knew who we wanted and who we didn't want because the Russians asked us a simple question. We want you. To help us put up a fence of solid doctrine around the church. Okay? I mean, you had a guy who preached under communism for 20 some odd years and all he had was the gospel of Luke. Okay? That's it. He didn't have anything else. He didn't even know there was anything else. All right. So now all of a sudden they got this freedom and it's Katie bar the door because they don't know what's real and what's not. So we went in. We went into an area that is the size of North Carolina, South Carolina and Virginia. Okay. When we moved in there. Okay. When we just moved in two churches, two evangelical churches in the whole area, the whole area. There was one on the north side of the city of Orel and one on the south side of the city of Orel. That's it. Okay. This church right now supports 17 daughter churches in Orel. That doesn't count the rest of the coalition. There's 49 evangelical Bible teaching churches in Orel right now because of that step of faith. Okay. Now, I didn't plan that. I do not have Slavic blood in me. I, you know, have a passion for Russian people. That isn't it. They wanted solid doctrine. Okay, that's cool. And now I look at these churches. I look at our daughter churches. Okay, most of their Sunday schools are bigger than our church. Okay, when I started with uh, Valeria, the Transfiguration Church, uh, I was stunned. You know, he says, well, I want you to bring young people over here. And I was like, no, (laughs) I ain't doing it. Why? Well, because I can see them at four o'clock in the morning in the basement of the church before school. The high school kids were helping the junior high kids understand the book of Galatians so that when they got done, they could show the middle school kids the book of Galatians. I don't think so. (laughs) We show you iTunes. Okay. It's great. Okay. Although you got dialed up, you'll never get a song, but go for it. But you said I'm trying to get at why they had a passion that, you know, we've lost years ago. All right. It doesn't mean that there aren't people out here to be reached. That's not what I'm trying to get at. But what I'm trying to say is when you give cheerfully, God will multiply Pressed down and running over. And so look what happened. Now we're in India. Now we're in Burma, Myanmar, all these other places. And it all took that one step that says we will be passionate about this. Okay. But that brings you to the next phase of God's generosity It is God's generosity. When I read that, he is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You know what that means? You're not going to run out. Why is it we think we're going to run out? We always think that. And I, Paul makes the statement, God is most of the time able. No, God is able to give you an abundance of grace. Why? 
Well, he's infinite grace. So when's he going to run out? Okay, just you don't have to be a theologian to ask these questions. You just look at it and say, well, yeah, that, that's that's awesome. Okay, then you will see that in verse the second half of 11 through 13, that the glory will be to God. Why? People will watch God's grace abound. And as God's grace abounds, then everybody looks and says, look what God did. Okay, we struggle with that. We want to touch the glory. You can sit in all the humility you got right now and say, I don't do that. And I'm going to say, you know what? You're deceiving yourself. We all want to. There are times when I look at it, when I think about this congregation, we can't touch the glory. We didn't plan this. We couldn't have come up with this. All right. And I don't know how it was done. I can't say, well, you know, we had a marketing strategy and we all made a little oath to a rock that we blew on a board. And that is the rock of our salvation and God will fulfill it. No, you didn't do nothing. We said, here's the doors open. And we walked through it. And the more we sowed, guess what? The more we harvested. Funny thought. Funny thought. We didn't plan it. I remember meeting Pastor Paul for the first time. I was at the Shepherd Conference. They always had uh, a communion service, a Lord's Table service in the afternoon, Sunday afternoon. It was the first time. In a, I'd been to like 10 or 15 Shepherd's Conferences in a row and never stayed for the Lord's Table. So I thought, oh, I'm going to stay for this Lord's Table thing. So I'm sitting there waiting to get served the Lord's table. Here comes Pastor Paul. He comes bebopping down the aisle, walks over. I'm the, you know, there's a few of us in the auditorium. He comes bopping over, looks over and he says, sits down beside me. And I had a pair of cowboy boots on. He looked at him cowboy boots. He says, you from the West? <laughs> Dude, you're in California. If you get any more West, you're wet. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm from. In Colorado, it says, that's the West. Isn't that like John Wayne? And I was like, I don't know if John Wayne made it to Colorado, but he might have. You know, and we struck up. He says, you know, I was just, you know, I'm here. I don't leave until Tuesday. I was part of the international. And he says, I wasn't even sure there'd be anybody here. And I said, well, you know, you speak pretty good English for looking the way you do. <laughs> and so I said, uh, where are you from? <laughs> And he says, Myanmar. And I'm like, okay, where is that? You would know it as Burma. I said, what makes you think I would know it as Burma? But anyway, that's how I met. I I didn't plan. Let's see if I can find somebody I can invest in globally. And go sit in the pew and wait. Okay, now if you're doing that, good luck. (laughs) Okay, but that's the kind of stuff that I try to get people to understand. They say, well, how did you... I just sitting there minding my own business with my cowboy boots on. So, you know what? I've never been back to the Shepherd's Conference since with a pair of cowboy boots. You just don't want the dogs to drag home. And I think he came out to the house. Didn't he come out to the house, I think, that year before he stopped by? And, You're in the country. Well, it's not the jungle, but it is the country. But anyway, um, so that's the, that's the thing that I want you to think, because who gets the glory for that? God does. And what now we build him a school. We build him a school. Alright? All over a pair of cowboy boots. Where is that? And that's the book of Psalms. Or maybe it's second hesitations. I don't know. Uh, but he gets the glory. But I want to show you this in verse 14, because it's really, really kind of cool. Verse 14 says. Why they also, by prayers on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Okay, let me ask you a question. Then I shared with you this kind of a, you have to kind of keep this in mind when you think about this text. There would have been those in the Jewish church in Jerusalem who would have been questioning whether the Corinthians were really saved. Okay, let's be realistic. If you read 1 Corinthians, you don't get 2 Corinthians, you probably question... I mean, the Apostle Paul said they were a church, but perhaps Paul was deceived. Okay, because they had some issues. 
And it was a congregational issue. It wasn't, you know, you got one or two dum-dums running around. This was, you had a whole group of people acting stupid. And you, I just don't know how you guys are saved. Okay. All of a sudden, they see this wealthy church, which the Corinthians would have been, wealthy church step up, and it says that he met all of their needs. We looked at that last week. Okay. So it was taken care of. Now, you think about that for a second. You've got a church of thousands of people, most of them unemployed. And this one church took care of their needs. All right? This is a dirt poor church. The first mega church is dirt poor. It's destitute. Most of the people in that congregation had no job. Okay? So what is a poor man going to give back to a generous rich man? You ever thought about that? What am I going to give to you? I'm sure some of you got friends that are like that. What do I get them for Christmas? Why, they have everything. They have no needs. What do I get them? Okay? Listen, Jerusalem was poor. I mean, destitute poor. And to give to the rich and to the wealthy of Corinth, what do you You send them a thank you card. Okay? Verse 14. They also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you by the cause of the surpassing grace of God in you. Okay? See, the poor... The Jerusalem saints. Now remember, they would have had in their mind, is that real? That group of Gentiles in Corinth, are they real? They don't sound real. It don't walk like a duck. It don't quack like a duck. It don't look like a duck. What is it? That doesn't look Christian to me. And yet they understood that God had worked in them because of this huge sum of money that was given. It was enough to fulfill all the needs of tens of thousands of people. Now you think about that for a second. You sit there and you go, wow. Wow. And now they long, they yearn for you. They long for you. They pray for you. Now, let me tell you something. When you have a person who longs to be with you and who yearns to be with you and who prays with you, you know what you got? A friend. I have a friend of mine. We've never served together, ever, in church. Okay? I met him directly through some people. Okay? And we just hit it off. Okay? He, he was amazed because he's still amazed. He says, how long do you study to prepare a Sunday morning message? And I said, about 35 to 40 hours. And he grabs his pastor and he says, did you hear that? <laughs> he had his pastor with him. He says, you need to listen. <laughs> and, I, and I said, I said, John, you don't know that I just may be a slow learner. <laughs> you know, some people may get this in like five hours and it just takes me 40. And, and he said, uh, I call him John the Baptist because that's kind of what he reminds me of. You, you never really have to figure out where John stands. Okay. And you don't have to think, well, what did he really mean by that? Okay, but you know what's amazing about John? He prays for me every day and has for about 15 years. Okay, you know what else? He longs to be with me. He tries to figure out where I'm going to be and is he going to be. He's a truck driver. He drives over the road and he tries to figure out when we can run into each other. Now, you think about that for a second. And you know what? I, I love John to death. I mean, uh, he's he's a trip. Okay? But, but see, he's a big man. So if he embarrasses people, he can get away with it. 
Okay, I give up running years ago, so I just don't run around trying to embarrass people. But he's a big enough guy that you look at him, you think, all right. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, and and he's he's funny, but but he 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 cuts it straight. Loves the word of the Lord. Okay, but I I I think about him because he calls me. Or text me. He's he's lost a bunch of fingers as a truck driver. Uh, so I'm not sure how he texts, but he he does, and he does it more than I like. But anyway, um, he'll he'll text me a few times a month, ask me how I'm going, anything specific he can pray for, and where where am I at? Because I told him I was thinking about going back into. I, I may have to go help my daughter build a shed for her and her husband, and then do some work at my mom's house and first of september and he says well you know i've got the nashville run he said are you gonna be close to nashville i said well clarksville and he says oh dude we gotta run into each other and you're like well, all right whatever john okay you you just if if he's ever in town he's been here a couple of times some of you guys know him uh john hartwell is his real name but i call him john the baptist and if you ever meet him you'll say yeah that's john the baptist <laughs> it's just you know you, you got your fr- brother's son, your wife's kids, something. Anyway, he longs to be with me. Okay? He just can't. Okay? He prays for me every day. He's one of these people that you, he says, I pray for you every day. He knows it's a sin to lie. So he would never say it if he wasn't doing it. Okay? Yet here in the context of this text, you have the Jerusalem saints. Okay, but I want you to think about this too. You sit there and you say, this large sum of money went to many in the Jerusalem church. Not everybody in the Jerusalem church was in need. Some had jobs. Okay, but there was a large group who didn't. When a bunch of priests get saved, okay, what are they going to do for a living? It says in Acts 4, a large number of priests came to believe. Okay? You know what that means, right? A large number of unemployed people are now believers. And not only are they unemployed, they are unemployable. What are they going to do? Okay? So you've got large numbers of people that were destitute and the saints in Corinth sent money to help them. But look what else it says. Liberality in verse 13, your confession of the gospel of Christ, the proof of your salvation for the liberality of your contribution to them, those in need in the Jerusalem church and to who? To all. Listen, the church globally at that time, would have been in the Mediterranean area, would have heard about the Corinthians and what a bunch of knuckleheads. Socrates wrote of Corinth, it is his favorite place to vacation because there were bare-chested women running around spearing pigs and climbing poles. There's a neighborhood. But that, that's what he said. I'm sitting there going, well, there you go. Everybody knew what Corinth was like. And now all of a sudden they start hearing through Christendom, whether it's the Macedonians, the church in Rome, the churches in Asia Minor, or the church in Jerusalem. They're all of a sudden starting to hear. Did you hear what the grace of God did in that corrupt place? Do you ever think about that? The actions of their money sent ripples through Christendom because they understood that the people's action with their money was a movement of the grace of God. I was reading Linsky on this text and he said this and I thought it was pretty cool. Quote, prayers of the poor are the rewards for the rich. Unquote. Why? When... It's funny. If you spend time around mature believers, okay, mature believers, 
It doesn't take you really a very long time to see the grace of God abound in them. Okay, now listen, I want you to be sure that you understand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about all of a sudden, every time they buy a lotto ticket, they win. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you watch how God takes that individual and continues to bless him or her for multiple good deeds. More works of righteousness and they abound and they abound and they are multiplied and they are multiplied. And you keep thinking, how is that possible? And you know what? Sometimes it it works out. You know, I think about this church and what we did when we were downtown and what the town came back to to move us out, to move us up here. And, And they kept raising what they wanted to give us. And we could never sit down long enough to come up with a plan on how much would it cost us to remodel this building to make it work as a church. And then they'd come back with another number. And and it'd go up. Because we were trying to do it. We were going to trade straight across and they were going to give us $70,000 in cash. Okay, and then you got, I forgot how many days we had, three months or something like that, to, to get it ready for what we wanted and move out. All right. We were trying to, okay, well, I think we can do this. We know we're good. And then they came back. Well, we'll give you a hundred thousand dollars in cash. And we'll give you a hundred and ten thousand dollars in cash. And we'll give you a hundred and twenty five thousand dollars in cash. We'll give you a hundred and fifty thousand dollars in cash. And so we finally settled. I think we got a hundred sixty five five. Okay. Ninety days to get it done. And we're sitting there and I remember Hank coming up to me and said, we should help for a quarter million, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but it took us we couldn't get our ducks in a row quick enough to get us a drawing together to figure out you know how much drywall how much wire and all the rest of it we were going to do and the next thing you know it just kept going up and up and up and up and you know what we didn't plan that our building was bought and paid for we didn't have to go nowhere instead we built a school that's impressive Why? Because God said, you reap what you sow. The prayers of all of those who share in the fellowship with Christ are like gold. Because now the churches, all of them, including the Jerusalem saints, they knew that the Corinthians were real. When you know somebody's real, you want to hang with them. You want to be with them. Why? Because that's the one God's working in. And I want to be close to that one. They had seen and they knew the love of the Corinthian saints. They had seen it. How did they see the love of the Corinthian saints? And their generosity. Their generosity. You know what? When you do that, you will end up with a whole bunch of people praying for you. You know, every Sunday morning in Russia, 17 churches pray for us specifically. You know that? I took a picture. I remember the first trip I took, I took a picture. I had the whole congregation. We sat out there, stood out there on that step. Okay, so we, we've grown a lot. <laughs> we can still fit on that step. But we have room for growth. Okay. They all stood out there on that step. And I took that picture. And I was in Valeri's office the last time I was over there. And that picture sitting on a bulletin board in their prayer room. He says, we pray for every one of them people. So, you know, some of them people are dead. <laughs> but anyway, I didn't, I, I didn't want to get into details. So, <laughs> some of them you prayed too hard for. <laughs> Letter to James says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? You believe that? You believe that? Who Who wouldn't want that? Why would you not want the fervent prayer of a righteous person every day? Why wouldn't you want that? 
And the way you get there is to show that you're real. And you do that by what? Generosity. In the church today, there is a lot of talk about unity. Okay? It's almost comical. But let me tell you something. When I think about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man produces much. Okay? That is the heart of real unity. Okay? When you have saints praying for faithful saints, that's unity. That's unity. Okay, all right, I'm back to testing your faith and stepping on your toes. Are you ready? This is just your warning. You know, he's getting ready to announce the medals. You want to know what unity is? Real unity. Real unity. Okay. Yes, I know it comes with like doctrine and study of the book. I understand that. Gee whiz. But you want, I know people right now who read the Bible more than I do. I'm not unified with them. Okay, you know why? Because real unity is simply who you pray for. It's that simple. Listen, your heart is for the one that you pray for. I've shared with you guys, our Sunday night group, we have a group of people that were praying for their salvation and that we would be utilized to reach that person for salvation. Okay? Because what I've learned is, in my years, okay, if I can't pray for them, I'll never reach them. Okay? Now take that, that's evangelistic. Okay, now take that to edification. Let's strengthen the saints. Who do you pray for? You know, I've had people say, well, you know, how can you keep ministering in a small church? Because it's easier to pray for everybody. I can pray for every one of you by name every day. Okay, and you know what that brings? Unity. Mutual prayers for the saints brings unity. Please hear me. That is real unity. That is not a manufacturer. Well, we're going to have a barbecue so we can all get along. That ain't going to do nothing. That's going to make it fat. That don't do nothing. You know, I hear people, well, you need to, you know, get around some biker guys and, and all of you motorcycle guys can be unified. Heck, planet did you just fall off of? You see what I'm trying to get at? I watch people, you know, we used to have a group of guys here who'd go hunting all the time. Then I seen how they shot, and I said, I ain't doing that. No. <laughs> I don't want to be that unified. I, but you see what I'm trying to get at? We have all of these little gimmick things that, well, this will make us unified. No, it won't. But I tell you what, you draw together in prayer, guess what? You'll be... Unified, you start praying for those that you love. And if you think about it, you're true to yourself. And be honest. If you take your prayer life right now, what do you pray for the most? Who do you pray for the most? And then if you move out from there, you'll find those are the ones that you care about. But I may not love. Right? And it goes out. You'll have those. Well, I pray for my wife and my kids. Duh. Okay. But then you start moving it around. Who do you pray for? Who do you pray for? Okay. Because that's who you're going to be unified with. And the ones that you pray more fervently for, that's the one you'll have the closer relationship with. I guarantee it. There are some who say they love the saints. You can see how much they love the saints by those they pray for. Our real love for the saints is basically um, framed by your prayer life. 
or lack of. Or lack of. If you pray for two or three, those would be the ones who who you have a strength of love for. And as it goes out, it's a little less, a little less, a little less. The wider our intenseness is, the wider that love goes out, the more the saints are embraced, that is real unity. And you know what? You guys have been part of this church for a while. Don't realize how blessed you are that you can have a directory without any problem. You can pray for every single saint every day. You had 10,000 members try it. Monday's shot. Tuesday's shot. I ain't doing nothing but praying. But you love them. When you reach out to someone, you provide for them. When you reach out for that person in prayer, then you become sensitive to what their needs are and you help them with their needs. They become your friend. Even when the Jerusalem saints were concerned, are the Corinthians real? They don't act real. They don't act like Christians. And your friends, you know what they will do? They will pray for you. And that's love that intercedes. That is the heart of real unity. That is done. Real unity is in mutual prayer. The Corinthians, by giving and meeting the needs of the destitute saints in Jerusalem, had just increased their circle of friends beyond their understanding. And when that growing circle of friends, guess what? They will all begin praying for one another. I think about all the Russian saints. You guys may never get to meet them until glory. And yet they're praying for you. That is a return on the Corinthians' generosity. The effectual, effective prayers of a righteous man availeth much. I think about this in Luke 16. Jesus speaking of the unrighteous steward, who at that time, if you were a steward of the master's home and possessions, you lived in the home. And the manager uh, or the uh, owner um, found out that this manager was squandering his possessions. And so he told him he's going to fire him. Okay, now, to lose that job means that you lost your income, but you also lost your place to live uh, and any providence you were going to have. So the steward contacts all those who owed his master money, and he cut their debts. You who owe 100, pay my master 50. You who owe my master 50, pay my master 25. And he goes through and... Um, <laughs> what he's, you know what he's doing, right? He's using money to buy friends. Let's be realistic. I'm getting ready to lose my house. I'm getting ready to lose my income. I'm going to need a place to stay. So, let's make a deal. And everybody said, well, that's crooked. Yeah, until verse 8. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relationship to their own kind than the sons of light. He says, yeah, you're pretty smart. Verse 9 says, I say to you, make friends for yourself by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails... They will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Okay? What? Yeah. You're unrighteous. You got fired. You cheated me. But you made friends. They'll take care of you. Okay, but look what he says. 
He who is faithful with a very little thing is faithful also in much. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Verse 11. Therefore, let me summarize it. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? Get that? You can have your temporal friends and you can buy them. They may give you housing. They may even give you a part-time job. But if you're faithful with the righteous works, guess what? You'll be taken care of forever. Did you hear what I said there? Forever. Forever. There are times that you can be generous and people will be obligated to you. Duh. There are times that people have been generous with us. Do we not feel obligated? Jesus said he was a smart guy. Why not use your mammon of righteousness to make friends? Now you think about that for a second. You can, we support a pastor in Russia, his whole family for a month for 300 bucks. Hey, you gonna live on that? $300? Can you live on that? And yet, you reached out and did it. Alright? And you know what? I I have been over there and them, They're produce fanatics because you've only got about four and a half, five months of produce and then everything that is left over gets canned and they put them in uh, cellars. And that's because you, I've been over there in the, a big city. Uh, Orel is about the size of Colorado Springs. Okay. And I went into their grocery store um, in, in March. And the produce section is empty. There is nothing in it. Okay, you know how they got the little green paper stuff that keeps the fruit and vegetables wet and all that? They've got that green stuff there. There ain't nothing there. Okay, and then you find out that if you got tomatoes or potatoes or onions or anything like that, these people canned them and they're in these cellars. All right? And yet I watch these people. They're very frugal with their money. And yet they are so ecstatic that we are walking together. Sometime we will leave this place and I will ask you a simple question. What are we investing in? Where are we putting our mammon? Where are we putting our wealth, our riches? You know what? When we get to glory and this thing is all wrapped up, the quote unquote church age is wrapped up. We're going to have a whole bunch of friends who will welcome us in heaven and say thank you. The gospel came to me because you were willing to give cheerfully. We need our money to benefit them. Because if you use the illustration in Luke 16, you can say, well, that guy's cutting these bills, saving these people some money, and he has a friend for a time. If I do it with the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ... I will have friends for eternity. They will always be. You'll have guys running around like John the Baptist who will text you and say, I'm praying for you. Where are you? Are you going to be on this side of the Mississippi and where are you going to be? I want to see you. And that's awesome because I don't I never did anything with him. We never worked together. You know, we. He's come to this church once or twice. Uh, once or twice when we were downtown. But other than that, uh, he's listened to some of my sermons online. But he's, he lives in Florida and in Georgia. It's not like we're, you know, I remember, won't you come and visit? I remember one time I had a layover from an international flight. And I told him I was in Atlanta. He stopped what he was doing, came up to the airport so he could have a bite with me. 
And you, you guys don't know my page knows that when I come back flying from that direction over here, I'm about as much fun as talking to that microphone stand. Because I don't know, it's still Sunday and I left at 11 in Moscow and I've been in an aluminum can for 24 hours. <laughs> and I'm just in Atlanta and it's still Sunday. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I, I can really converse. It's sit there and look at you. Do you look familiar? Okay. But I try to get, and, and yet he did it. He wanted to tell you, he's got him a Boss GT Mustang. Okay. He's got one. He says, if we go outside of security, I'll let you drive it. And I said, John, I've been in aluminum can for 20 hours. <laughs> you don't want me driving your car. <laughs> oh, we, we can. I said, John. Trust me on this. It's, it's almost like it's prophetic. Don't do it. <laughs> you invest in their lives of other believers. They will intercede for you. They will intercede for us. They pray for us. And their prayers avail much. Not only do they pray for us, they yearn for us. They long for that dearer, sweeter, closer communion. They earnestly desire, they long for someone that they want to be because, because, because of the surpassing grace of God in you. They saw what God was doing and they wanted to be a part of what God was doing. That surpassing grace. And if you've ever been around these people who have are immersed in the surpassing grace and abundance of grace that we've been looking at in all these things, then you just want to hang with them. I want to be with you. I don't care if we're not doing nothing. I just want to be there. Why? We are like-minded. We are like-passionate. Because of this surpassing grace of God in you, Corinthians... The saints, all of them, yearn for you. All of them pray for you. We should long and yearn and pray for the ones whom God's grace is moving in such a way, in such an overwhelming and passing way. That is a great benefit of giving. Just all of a sudden exponentially multiplying the people who pray for you. Having people who pray for you have never met you. That's amazing. God knows the hearts of both. People who become precious friends. Who long and who are longing to intercede for you. Think about that. Pastor Philip. He sends me emails now. Please respond quickly. But I don't want to. No. Everybody is that way now. But Pastor Paul sends me something. Please respond quickly. Tell me what's going on. I get it from Valeri. I get it from Alexander. All of these guys that you guys have never met. Some of them you have. They're all saying, please respond. Tell us what's going on at Castle Rock Baptist Church. When we see the surpassing grace of God in an individual or a group of saints and it is abounding, then we know that God is there, God's grace is upon them, and God will prosper them. When we give generously, liberally to God, then we know that we give out of a cheerful heart and we have this special love that is from God. We know that we have now stepped into his generosity, that he is able to make all grace abound to you and always having all sufficiency in everything. Why? So that we will have an abundance of good deeds. We know that. We know that thanks will be risen to God because of the great grace he's bestowed upon each and every one of us individually and collectively, and he will get thanksgiving, he will get praise, and it will actually stir people to worship the true and living God. And we know 
that our circle of friends will grow with people who will pray for us and yearn to be with us in sweet communion that only comes in the unity of Jesus Christ through his people. And that unity grows because that same prayer goes from our hearts to theirs, from their hearts to ours, and it is all interceded on behalf of Jesus Christ. That's God's prosperity. Next week, we'll look at verse 15. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for prayer. Uh, Father, thank you for the precious saints around the world, those that we know, Father, those that we don't know. Um, Father, those that we've impacted and we don't even know we did, help us. I think about those who came to repentance during the Emmanuel's child. Father, I lift them to you in holiness and purity. Father, that you will let them grow in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, I think about new doors that are opening And as I pray for them, uh, whether it is in Amman, Jordan, um, what is going on in Ukraine, uh, Father, whatever is going on in Azerbaijan, uh, Father, just even the communications that I had with this young man in Abu Dhabi. Help us, Lord. Help us to sow bountifully. And Father, rejoice at the amazing things that you will do. To your glory, to your praise, draw your people to worship. In Christ's name, amen.